thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate that some of you are here because, well, it's school. Okay, that's fine. But the rest of you are here, uh, hopefully, to, to learn something about creative approaches to innovation. That's what we're talking about today. Okay? Now, who here likes to make money? Really? Like 10 of you? All right, that's a little better. Okay. So, I have a deal for you. As you heard Dr. John say about being open and present, if you can be open and present with me and everybody else today and have some intentional fun, I'll tell you how to make a lot of money. Does that sound fair? Yeah? Okay. Well, then we're going to jump right into it. Understand this. 60% of global CEOs, right now, the number one thing they're looking for the next generation of leaders is creativity. 60%. On job applications for any entry-level position that requires any type of thinking. It's the third most sought thing. Now, let's flip that equation a little bit, right? So there's a lot of demand. But right now, four out of five adults, 80% of adults, don't feel creative. Out of the ones that do feel creative, 10% say they're allowed to be creative at work. As technology continues to advance, humans' creativity is starting to decline in its expression. Not in its ability, but it's in expression. So let me translate all that. There's a lot of demand for creativity, and there's very low supply. Any of you that can do basic simple math, right, or basic economics, that says that you get paid a lot of money if you're creative. So let's cut to the chase. You're all creative. Today, you're going to rediscover that. Now, there's another part of the equation, though. 43% of all jobs that don't require creativity will be automated by 2032. That's nine years from now. 43%. Machine's going to do it. Specifically, artificial intelligence is going to do it. Now, that may not surprise some of our younger generation, but that means the dynamics that have governed how business has been conducted is about to rapidly change. And when it changes, it's going to come in a hurry. And I'm not talking about fast food, because that's going to change, as are all the chain restaurants that basically freeze meals and reheat them. How about things like retail pharmacy? Aside from the pharmacist doing a consultation, that's all automatable. Pharmacists make a lot of money. Anybody know what the average starting salary for a pharmacist in Pittsburgh? Fresh out of school? 100 grand. 100 grand. And those jobs are going to go away for everybody except for the pharmacist. And they have a lot of support staff. How about this? Accounting. It's going to go away. It's going to be automated. AI can take care of it. Now, here's a little creative spin on that. If you're in finance, by the way, that's different than accounting. But if you go into forensic accounting, that's a lot of creativity. Because now you have to think how somebody's trying to hide money. AI can't do that. AI is missing one thing, creativity. 
we do not in the foreseeable future see a path for AI to do what humans can do. And that is why I say that creativity is the innate human trait allowing us to innovate. Because AI can't. AI is based in the past, it's based on sets of rules, it's based on optimization. It can kind of learn, but it can't think. Today you guys have an opportunity to, to really tap into your creativity. And when you do, especially for the younger people in the audience, but this goes for everybody, right? This isn't just for you guys. When you do, money's gonna become really open really fast. Okay, so I thought this morning, to make sure you guys had some energy about you, um, we would talk about the race of life, but as we talk about that race of, of life, we, uh, we're actually gonna do a race. So I'm gonna come down with you, and I know that six students are sitting right here in front of me, and if you guys could step on the yellow pieces of tape, and I believe we have five adults over here who have been voluntold as well. Um, if you could please step up. Uh, to yellow pieces of tape, that would be super. So here's what we're going to do. You guys actually can face the audience if you want. You can actually face forward if you want. It's six one half dozen for me. But I'm going to have you stand there, Mr. Nutzel, because I'm going to compete in this race with you. Now, some of you may think you know what's about to come. I promise you, you don't. But that's okay. Now, adults get a little bit of an advantage, right? We're a little bit older. So we don't have your speed. So because you've all graduated from high school, take one step up to the, to the first blue. So that's just one step. Now, if you have any education, formal education, like college, trade school, you went and studied real estate, take another step forward. All right, so we're up to two. Right, so we're, we already have an advantage, right? So how about this? We're gonna pair everything back to high school days, okay? So, either when you graduated, or currently, if you have your own bedroom, take a step forward. If you have siblings, take a step forward. How about this? A little bit different. Um, if your high school, at the time of graduation, or currently, um, is tied to Ivy League colleges and universities, take a step forward. If your high school, is tied so deeply into Maslow's triangle, take a step forward. And if you don't know what that is, you're not taking a step. How about, oh, how about if you feel creative? Okay, we're getting pretty close. Getting pretty close. How about if your school could claim to be one of 20 in the entire nation that's being watched by the federal government and state governments to lead in educational development. By the way, I, I, need, to be, I need to be up here. And then in case you haven't picked up, like I'm saying a bunch of stuff that hit me in high school, right? How about this one? And this one might be a little bit more centric. How about if you're one of 150 schools that was indoctrinated, or indoctrinated into the League of Innovators. Hmm. Okay. Now, how about this? Adults, I'd like you to stay right where you are. You may want to turn around. Students, please reset. 
Notice I reset too. All of that that I just said, except for the siblings and graduated and all that, not true about me. Not true about me. So let's reset. Have siblings? Have your own bedroom? Right? Feel creative? Oh, I missed this one, and this goes for everybody. Started or own a business? Started or own a business? Okay? Now that would put me here. Okay? That would put me here. Now, Northgate, take five steps forward. Northgate, you are at such an advantage with your points of power, it's not even funny. You are in the League of Innovators. You're one of 150 schools. You are one of 20 schools in the entire nation that's considered to be a lighthouse. That means you are leading the way for innovation and development, for education. You are tied to Harvard University, not in one way, but two. You're tied to CMU. They come in and they help with behavioral health systems, which is the fastest growing health system, not only in this country, but the world. Right? In the world. And in addition to that, your school district is the only one completely indoctrinated into the CHILL project. There are schools, not the school districts, schools, individual buildings, waiting to get on the list. You're already there. Having said that, look at where the differences are now. Basically leveled the playing field, didn't it? Actually, I think the students are a little bit ahead. Ready? Go. Oh. Well, I like that. So Mr. Mike Netzel, former graduate of this school and an alumnus, took some steps forward. Everybody else stayed still. Why? Because I didn't tell them where to go? Because I didn't tell them what the goal was? By the way, the goal is right here. I win. I play this game with my kids. It's called I win. You know how to play that? I win. Right? I always win. Actually, you guys can all have a seat. Thank you very much. Let's give them a hand. So the point of that was this. If you don't know what the goal is, what are you going to do? Are you going to just stand there, or are you going to take action? Even more important, if you don't know where the goal is, does it matter where you start? So understand, goal setting is important. Now what we just did, do you know how many organizations do this constantly? where they're not communicating what the goal is, where the people participating in the goals have an assumption or they make one up and they start to take some action to move. Now, when that happens, we see something happening. When we see something happening, people assume that something good is going to take place. But what happens if your bonus your money is tied to what you do. What if you don't know the goal then? 
What if you accomplished what you thought the goal was, and somebody comes and says, oh, yeah, that's, that's not what we were trying to do. Now you don't get that money. You're going to be happy? No. Happens every day in business. The number one reason, or the number one problem in all businesses with more than five people is communication. 80% of businesses will fail to innovate because they don't set the goal properly. 80%. Now, is it necessarily the communicator's fault on delivering that message? It is, 100%. However, that doesn't excuse the responsibility of others. Because some action is better than stagnation. And I don't blame you. I wouldn't have moved either, especially at that age. At this age, I would have been sprinting up that stage and looking all over the place for something that said finish line or goal because I know better. Now, here's the fun part. Because I know better, because that's where money's attached, is through action. The goal for you guys at this point is what you make it. The goal for anybody is what you make it. Because you can't just have business goals. You can't just have career goals. You have to have personal goals. And understand this, because people will tell you it's different. It's not. It took me 20 years to learn this. What you do at work will affect your personal life. What you do in your personal life will affect your work. They are not exclusive, ever. They're just not. Anybody that's telling you otherwise is not open to you. And if they're telling you that, they're not present on what you're trying to focus on. And they're certainly not trying to have intentional fun with you. Now, we're going to talk about a couple things today. We're going to talk about how to recognize your advantages. We're going to talk about the fact that your brain is literally holding you back. And then, we're actually going to get into some creative tools and some exercises I, I think you guys will enjoy on actually how to do it. Like, I'm actually going to show you how to do it. Okay? Understand your goal. Understand it. Then, see what obstacles that you know about. Then find your advantages to get around them. They're always there. You just don't know it. Just like many of you didn't recognize, right, the advantages or your points of power that this school has for you. And by the way, if you didn't recognize those, I implore you, I beg you, find out about them. Get involved. Because the one thing I can promise you that regardless of what you do in life, where you're going to gain an advantage from those distinct things, is it will give you adaptability. It'll give you adaptability. Now understand, I'm not just saying this. I lived it. I was the third of six kids. Mom stayed at home. Dad worked. Paychecks were not big. Many meals were oatmeal, peanut butter and jelly. I did not have my own bedroom by any stretch of the imagination. I did not come from a, a, a family that had a lot of value in education. 
by any stretch of the mat. I wasn't discouraged from going to school, but it was crystal clear I'd be on my own to do it. Okay? So I did. And I can tell you that first year was horrible. I literally rolled pennies to make the housing deposit. I had to work three jobs at the same time while being a full-time student. My advantages, my distinct advantages, I knew how to focus because I grew up in a house with a lot of kids, so I knew how to focus and get things done. Because you're working three jobs and you're going to school full-time and you're going to graduate with honors, time management's important. I have a natural disposition to hear people's opinions about me, to absorb them, and not let them affect my mental health. Because I was bad off enough that I had a winter coat that was so ripped up that I used duct tape to patch it. And you better believe people talked about it on campus. I don't care. Go ahead. Because I know many of those people still to this day, and they're not happy with what they're doing. And their bank account certainly isn't where mine is. So, out of all of that, I had to learn the hard way to view what my obstacles were. I had to learn my advantages and then use them. And I did. I used them quite well. People will tell you that where you come from matters. It does. It matters because of who your social groups are and what you're constantly hearing, what you're constantly feeling, and what you're constantly doing. If you can apply creativity to that, you can set it to be whatever you want for the future. Now, I recognize some of you aren't 18. You don't have full control. OK. Neither did I. I was still 17 when I started college by like two weeks, just because of how birthdays fall out, but still, right? Understand your goals. Be open with people. Be present with people about those goals. Tell people, biggest mistake I've ever made, and it took me 25 years to learn, was I wasn't telling people my goals. I wasn't being open to people and sharing my goals. I wasn't letting them in to help me. Why? Because I assumed that they wouldn't. I assumed that. What happens when we assume? That's right. I heard it. So as we move forward to today, keep in mind recognizing your goals is important after you've set your goal. Or, uh, yeah, your advantages are important after you've set your goal. Now, show of hands, how many of you actually have at least one goal that doesn't involve doing nothing? Good. Good. Because we're going to talk about some goals later uh, after this session with everybody. So first thing we said we're going to talk about was recognizing our advantages. We're going to shift into how our brains are holding us back. Because we're going to talk about something called neuroplasticity.
So some of you may want to close your eyes. I'm not an eye closer. I personally am not comfortable with that. I like my eyes open, but do as you like. And I want you to imagine your life and picture it as a mountain. And every emotion, every touch, feel, smell, taste, sound that you've ever heard is a raindrop falling on your mountain. And the more and more you experience those things, little puddles start to form, then streams, then rivers. And when you are five years old, you're starting to get some pretty decent little streams moving. By the time you hit puberty, you have some small rivers going. By the time you are 45 and 20 years into a career, you have some really fast-moving, deep, deep rivers. Now, I'm going to share something a little personal. I have almost drowned seven times. Yeah, I know. You think I'd learn. One of them was when I fell through ice into a river that was quite fast-moving. I was eight years old. Scariest thing I've ever probably experienced maybe aside from the other six times of almost drowning. I got lucky, somewhere in my brain, my brain said pick a spot downstream and go towards it. Because by the way, that's how you get out of a fast moving river. And I got out. I also got a beating for that, but I got out. If you've never had that experience, it's terrifying. If you have 30 years of real estate experience, and you're one of the best in the nation. Your experience in real estate is fast. It's deep. Try to get you into something else out of that, or try a different approach. Nay, 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 we aren't doing that. Because how can we? That's where that openness has to come into play. That's where that sharing of goals has to come into play. Because the best way to get out is with help. The best way to get out is with other people's rivers and thoughts. Because if you can't, you're stuck and you're done. But when you apply creativity, your brain, your mountain, will become a waterfall emptying into a lake where a lot of people can enjoy a lot of different things with you. This applies in business. People talk about how they can get so bored doing their job and they want to try something new. This is it. Here's the problem. As soon as it gets a little tough, you'll go back to your river. You'll go back to your stream, you'll go back to your channel, you'll go back to your experience. So, we need to reframe how we look at the world, right? So, I'm going to tell you guys two stories to illustrate this point, because reframing is a little bit different than perspective. So, in reframing, what you're trying to do is to empower others to help you, okay? It's not just looking at a quarter and saying, well, it's got two sides. 
It's looking at the quarter saying it has two sides and then asking somebody for help on how to spend it. Because you can't buy almost anything for a quarter anymore. So think about this. I'm going to tell you two very fast stories that illustrate this point. In 1955, Disney World opened. Anybody know how long it took them to build Disney World from the time they broke ground until they opened? 364 days. 364 days. They were way over budget, like multiple times. Poor Roy Disney. I, I don't know how he did it, because at that time, amusement parks were failing left, right, and center. And, he, and Walt just would not give up. But let me tell you a very specific story that most people don't know. The head landscaping artist, notice I didn't say the head gardener or head of maintenance, the head landscaping artist went to Walt about, about a month out from the time that they were going to open. And he said, Walt, I need help. I, I don't have the budget. I don't have the staff. And if all I did was de-weed the flower beds, I wouldn't have time to plant. Well, it's like, okay, let's go for a walk. So they started walking around the park. And he saw some flowers, and he saw some weeds in it. And then he saw one particular bed that just looked like a bunch of weeds. And he's like, how many different weeds are in there? Seven, eight? He's like, what if we got, and notice he said, what if? What if we got little placards and figured out what their Latin names were and just stuck them by all the different varieties? We don't need to do every single plant, but just varieties. And we did that in other flower beds. Then you don't have to de-weed, right? And would you have enough budget to plant all the rest of the flower beds and go? Well, yeah. Guess never knew. So here's the reframing. Walt reframed by calling him the head landscaping artist. The head landscaping artist's job was to help Walt. The head landscaping artist went to Walt, said, my goal is to do this. I need help. And Walt suggested how to do it to help the head landscaping artist, which ultimately helped Walt. That's the power of reframing. It's an empowerment. It's very deliberate. It's very distinct. How about another one? Personal story. I've been to New York City three times. First time I was there, now keep in mind, I, am, I originally grew up about 100 miles due east of here, so relatively small. And my thoughts about New York City was, that's a bunch of crazy people. That was my initial impression. That was my assumption, and it was a poor one. But I walk into this building, and I strike up a conversation with the receptionist. Have you ever had those conversations where you just start talking to somebody, and you just instantaneously bond? Right? It was one of those. We're talking for probably 20 minutes, and I didn't even realize it. And then Paul comes down, and I see Paul, and I say goodbye to the receptionist. And I walk over to Paul, and we start to walk. Uh, he's just on the second floor, so we're just taking the steps. And I'm like, Paul, you have the most amazing receptionist. He's like, what are you talking about? We don't have a receptionist. I paused. I think I physically might have paused, but I know I paused in my head because my assumption was, oh my God, who was I just talking to for the last 20 minutes? Like I've known her my entire life. I'm like, uh, polka dot blouse, Sarah? He's like, oh, our director of first impressions. Wow. They empowered her to do her job to the utmost of her ability. 
and she crushed it. To this day, I remember Sarah. This was a long time ago. Most of you weren't on the face of the planet yet. But I still remember Sarah. They empowered her to help them. Not necessarily to help her. That's the power of reframing. But there's a problem. You guys ready for it? Humans are terrible at this. And there's a couple of things you need to know about being a human. First, we all want to make it into the next generation, or enough of us that, that we make it into the next generation, like 99.8% want to make it into the next generation. Okay? Second thing, but that's not unique to us. I was waiting for it. I knew it was coming. But that's not unique to us, right? Every species wants that. How about we're really social, and we have to have social acceptance? Okay. Yeah, that's true. Even for the people that are, are very much deliberately an outcast, they, there's still a social acceptance that takes place. But that's, again, not unique to us. All mammals do that. The next one is distinctly human. The need to be right. No other species can claim that. The need to be right. In that need to be right, you will destroy relationships just to save face. In that need to be right, it's the same thing as not appearing to be wrong. Now think about this. If you're wrong, you feel that you may be ostracized from your group, kicked out. If you're not in a social group, you're not making it into the next generation if you can't socialize with anybody. It builds on itself in a very prolific way. The need to be right has nothing to do with facts. There's an old saying that bees don't waste their time explaining to flies that honey is better than, you get the idea, right? Why? They won't ever believe it. Beliefs over facts. And the more and more you push on somebody's belief, the more they'll dig their heels in. Doesn't matter what facts you present them. It doesn't. I, I will even go this far. If somebody has said their belief out loud in, in a room of more than five people, they're not going back. Unless they have openness. Unless they know how to stay present with people. And Here's the kicker, have intentional fun. You see, being right and everything that goes with being right is actually a choice. It is quite literally a choice. In choice, you need to understand one very profound thing. Some of you are about to disagree with this. That's okay. Every choice, every decision that you make is based in emotion. Every single one. 
99% of the choices and emotions that you feel that drive those choices are subconscious. That means your conscious brain, which doesn't fully develop until you're about 25 years old, it's irrelevant. You've already made the choice, and you just didn't know it. Let's take a step back. Most people aren't aware of what their goals are because they never set them. If you don't have a goal, you can't decide or look and see what obstacles are, which means you definitely don't know what your advantages are, right? But here's the difference for today for you guys and everybody that's watching, uh, watching this. You now have awareness. So what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose complacency? Or are you going to choose intention? Because it is literally a choice. Now, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into this. So don't get too hung up on this. But understand that these choices, these blockers, these barriers are all manifestation of you. Remember your neuroplasticity? It's your life's experiences. It's what's literally got you here. It can't be that wrong. But I want you guys to think about the people you interact with in your everyday living. Are they happy? Are you? If you're not, if they're not, and you don't want to mimic that, right? I saw my parents' life. I saw my cousins' lives. I saw my older siblings' lives. Now, I don't want that. I don't want to struggle. I did struggle for nine years after I made that point of, of decision, um, but I don't now and I'll never go back to it. Because I recognize how I limit me. You are your biggest barrier to your own success and creativity, which translate to happiness. You're not the only thing. There are five other things that we're gonna to touch on these briefly. Um, the first is time. I don't know how many times I've heard clients and, and people in general say, I don't have time to fill in the blank. I don't have time to do anything. How am I going to get to that? I want you guys to listen up. Like literally sit up as much as you can. Because this is going to be an important thing. The only thing that you possess is time. The only thing that you possess is time. That is it. That's all that you have. There is nothing else. How many of you believe or have heard time is equal to money? Keep those hands up if you believe that. Time is equal to money. If your hands up, do you know how much money you have within a few dollars? Sort of, kind of. Zero is, a, is an amount. Zero or whatever it is. How much time do you have? No, you don't. Prove it. Prove how much time you have. 
You don't know that. In theory, on average, you should. You don't know that. Time is not equal to money, ever. When your time is up, it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. Please do not make the mistake of equating your time to money. Money's not real. It does a bunch of stuff for us. It allows us into our Maslow's triangle, currently, but it doesn't actually make you happy. Wave Runner might make you happy, and you can buy one of those, but it doesn't necessarily make you happy. How about language? I'm not talking, well, this is a barrier between somebody speaking French and Spanish and English or German or Russian. That's definitely a barrier, because we said the number one problem for any business with more than five people is communication. But how about between generations? How about between executives and managers and managers and subordinates, teachers and students, administrations and faculty, customers, home buyers, all of it? A lot of difference there in the terms that are used in the language that's said. Now, I could spend an hour on any one of these topics, uh, but we're just touching these briefly. How about this one, where ideas are locked up, they're neglected. They're killed before their time. Or more importantly, they're diluted. There are more creative, innovative projects that come out of 1% of the companies in this world than the entire world could literally work on. The problem is, when those ideas come out, people will apply their internal needs before their customers' needs. And it dilutes the idea. That's why the iPhone marginally gets better. Right? These little increments. Some of that's by design, but not all of it. And I know that because I've worked in multiple different industries across the globe. It's always the same story. Because we dilute ideas. We neglect them. The neglected idea is, hey, I have this idea to do this, and somebody says, okay, and then they either do it or they don't, but they never give you any feedback. Parents, I hope you heard that. Because you do that to your kids statistically quite often. How about the last one? Hear no, or the second to last one. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Hear no customers, see no customer, speak to no customers. This happens all the time in business. They say, oh, we're going to do some voice of customer, and we're going to actually go out and figure out what the public wants. Okay, great. Do that. But how many of them are actually going to get incorporated into producing it. And when I say them, I mean the customer. You know, the people that you just said, hey, what do you want? And then you go off and you dilute the product and you don't give them what they want and then you expect them to pay a premium. How about the last one, risk aversion, right? Robots barely dipping his toe in despite all of his safety. You know what everybody wants? All the reward and none of the risk. 
You know what everybody wants? They want the perfect time. You know what the perfect time is like? Perfect time would be like getting on McKnight Road, waiting for all of the lights to turn green before you start in the middle of December. Not going to happen. Right? It's just not going to happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because it's unrealistic to expect to be able to plan for everything. So when I said Northgate has a distinct advantage, if you choose to optimize it and look into it, on the adaptability, the creative and the innovation that they are bringing to you, what do you think gets you through all the unseen and unknowns? You guys have so much power in what you're doing. So let's talk about fear for a moment. When we were born, we are afraid of three distinct things, and that's it. Loud noises, assuming, of course, that the baby can hear. Abandonment and falling. Those are the three fears that we have. Everything else is learned. All of it. So how many of you still have your hands crossed in an awkward feeling position? Almost none. I know. So if they're not crossed that way, put them back. Please. Now, let me give you an example, right? If you had a baby in a stroller and it could see its parent, a parent, or a caregiver, and you're at the Pittsburgh Zoo, and a tiger doesn't make any noise, just walks up to that baby. Is that baby going to just start freaking out? No. Chances are they'll start to laugh because it's something new. It's something exciting. It's something different. And that's what babies do. They laugh at those things. Now, if I'm walking under that underpass and a tiger is coming down towards me, yeah, I'm afraid, right? I'm probably going to need to change my pants like that baby does, but I'm going to be afraid. Now, I'm not going to run. I'm going to, I'm going to be backing away, seeing you know, if there's somebody slower near the tiger than me, and then start running so the tiger will go after them. Actually, that's not true. The tiger would chase me if the other person is not running. But um, that is learned. It keeps us alive. It's not a bad thing. But understand there's a distinct difference between fear and being afraid. Being afraid is about your survival. Being fearful is all in your head. It's all in your head. I want you to think of fear in this way. It's an acronym. It stands for false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. By the way, that's the same thing as being right. It's in your head. You're right in your head. Okay, great. My data says this. Yeah, but I feel fill in the blank. Can't, you can't battle I believe or I feel. Now here's the thing about fear. We all have it. Call it what you want, worry, anxiety, panic, stress, doubt. We all have it. 
but we don't talk about it. It's the elephant literally in the room, and we don't talk about it. Well, maybe you guys do through your research with MSU, or I'm sorry, CMS, CMU, Carnegie Mellon. But in the corporate world, they don't talk about it. They don't talk about fear. They talk about stress and how everybody's stressed out. We should do something about stress. But the moment we go into a board meeting, everybody's quiet, one person talks, nobody's going to counter what anybody else says in a helpful dialogue for fear of being wrong or not being seen as being right, which means they're going to be ostracized from that group, which means they've lost their job. They maybe have lost their spouse, and now they can't get into the next generation. It's all about being human. We all do that. Biochemically, let me tell you why. I promise this will not be as bad as that just sounded. There are three components to the brain. And for anybody that is a biology teacher, I'm keeping this super basic level, um, so let's just go with it. There's the amygdala, there's the hippocampus, and then there's the pituitary gland, which is over here. So the amygdala is sitting right on top of that hippocampus. The amygdala is our fight or flight syndrome. That's where fear comes from. And by the way, it's one of the first things in our brain that develops. It's also why it's your single greatest emotion. By far, love is not our strongest emotion. It's not even close. Actually, happiness is your second greatest emotion. But fear starts in the amygdala. Now, when we're a newborn baby, unless we're being dropped or abandoned, right, or some loud noises, the hippocampus, that's where our memories get processed. But if we don't have a whole lot of fear, everything's new, new everything's exciting for us. That's why babies laugh at just about everything, unless they're upset and they're feeling abandoned or they're hungry, which if you're not feeding the child, that's a form of abandonment in that process for their brain. So if fear sits right on top, of the hippocampus, and it does, when it starts to release that, that means the first process chemical that's forming your neuroplasticity, that's forming your channels, is inundated with fear. It's inundated with fear. Is it any wonder why it's your strongest emotion? Because it's what you experience the most as you start to age. And it only gets worse as you age, unless you recognize it. Now, let's add in the pituitary gland, right? Kind of over here. This is hormone central. So as your brains are developing, you're just starting to get experience in channels. Your prefrontal cortex, where our conscious brain can actually do something, isn't developed until we're 25. So we're all super emotional, and then we flood with hormones, and that heightens that naturalness of, of what we call the, the fun period of teenage years, right? And that whole confused state, that whole social acceptance, and that whole 
hopefully long-term plan of getting into the next generation. But how do we beat it? First thing is laughter. Laughter is the first thing that will get you away from fear. The more people you can laugh with, the better. Second is taking action, right? Action is experience. As soon as we have some experience, we have some competency. As soon as we have a competency, we'll get into some self-belief and self-esteem, which leads to understanding, which allows us to be confident and motivates us to take more action. This is how you crush fear. This is how you do it. What's the best way to do it? Through failing. Through failing. But I have to reframe that for you so that you can help me. Here's the reframe. FAIL is an acronym. It stands first attempt in learning. It is the fastest way to innovate. It is the natural way to innovate. Humans get in the middle and mess it up. Humans will get in the middle and mess it up. Okay. Now, I want you to picture that baby again. Right? When a baby is just learning to walk, they take that first step and they fall down. Do you scold that, that baby and tell them how dumb they are? Like, why can't you do this? No. What do you do? You smile. You cheer them on. You congratulate them on the first step. You get up and you help them to take those few steps. They've never experienced walking before. How can we expect adults that have never done anything or teenagers or whoever it is who've never done something to immediately get it right? It's their first attempt in learning. Or maybe it's their second attempt or third attempt. It doesn't matter. Understand this about learning, though. That baby that took that first step, they learned from that fail. And they'll slightly tweak. Babies do this amazingly fast. Because their neuroplasticity is much, much more open. They don't have their bias. As we age, we develop it. And it never goes away. But you can modify it. So understand your bias when it comes to learning. Because we talked about taking action and gaining some experience. When we do that, when we take that action and gain any experience, we are establishing that neuroplasticity in a new way. So if you don't understand something, and I'm going to pick this as educators. So an educator can be anybody. It can be a parent. It can be a teacher. It can be a mentor. Right? Learn the way they do it. Listen to their explanation. And then, if it still doesn't feel right, you still have questions, go back and with them say, my goal is to understand X. Empower them to help you. I'll tell you this, right? Despite my 
rather extensive time as a student. When I was an adjunct professor, I learned more about anatomy and physiology and biology as a professor than I ever did as a student. Why? Because my students challenged me. Here's how they challenged me. Most of them didn't know it. I could tell when they didn't understand a concept, like how a protein folds. So I took it upon me to explain it a different way. Oh, you still didn't get it? Here, let me try this way. And that challenged me to learn. It challenged me to learn. Now, I realize where we are, so I want you to hear the whole statement of this. Formal education crushes creativity. It beats it out of you. And we all go through it. Here's your advantage. Your administration, your school board, recognizes it. They know it. They are putting into place things around innovation, around creativity, to help you get out of that. Any formal education does it. Any. I don't care what you're, if you're learning how to be a carpenter, the way somebody is showing you is by in its very nature a restriction to any other possibility of doing something. But all of that takes time. Usually a lot less time than we think, but it takes time. Some things can't be rushed. As Warren Buffett has said, you can't get a one-month baby by getting nine women pregnant. Right? Sometimes it just takes time. And that's okay. So Don, then Pamela, and then Payton. So they have also, from my understanding, been voluntold, though hopefully they've been given a little bit of a heads up about what we're going, uh, going to do. Um, no's okay. I'm, I'm okay with no as well. Um, so what we're going to do, everybody, is I'm going to present a scenario. And in that scenario, they're going to have to respond to what I'm saying in real time. They have no idea what I'm about to say. The difference is they're going to have different starting words. And they're going to go one at a time. So you guys get to actually just relax for a second. So, so Don, your first two words are no, because, to whatever I say. Got it? First two words, no, because. And just so you guys know, yours is going to be yes or, Peyton, yours is going to be yes and. Okay? You ready? No, because. No, you got to finish it. Your first two words have to be no, because. And then you're going to give me... The, you're going to give me the reason. Okay? Sure you're ready? Okay. So, Don, Dr. Johns told me like two weeks ago, and we're not supposed to tell the school board, but I know the school board's here. Um, she has like $20,000 squirreled away, and because we're talking about creativity, and one of the fastest ways to get through creativity is through laughter and having fun, intentional fun, we're going to throw a party. So here's my idea. I have a friend, because I used to live here, who owns a print shop. And we get everybody tickets to tonight's basketball game so that the Bears can lose, and we get them t-shirts. What do you think? Yes. 
There you go. No, because we should use the funds in a different way. Okay. So a different way than a sports thing. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? How about if we get uh, everybody a food pass and a $25 game card for Dave and Buster's? No, because not everybody likes the Okay. Um, oh, we'll make it something related to school. We rent out the, the, the Carnegie Science Center for a day, and we have Chick fil A come in and cater it. I think you might actually hit it off. It's on. No, not everybody likes Everybody, let's give her a hand. That was hard. That's hard to do. Right? That's hard to do. Let's hit hand that straight over. And if you can stand behind Peyton, please. <laughs> okay, you saw that, right? All right, so Pamela, your first two words are yes or. Okay. Now, Dr. Johns doesn't know this, probably because she was out skateboarding in the halls with the students, but I got a call from the board, the education board, here, the school board. And they already knew about that $20,000. They decided to put a zero behind it, okay? So, here's my idea. In addition to getting everybody to the boys basketball game tonight when they beat the Bears, tomorrow we have everybody go to the Peter, Peterson Event Center and watch Pitt beat Syracuse. Yes. You know, I'm okay with that. Oh, and while we're in Vegas, we can actually, so that maybe we can get some more money out of the school district, we can get them to explain how the Bellagio water fountain's timing works and the physics behind it. Okay. Oh, we can explain the math behind all of the gambling games to the students. Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> so, okay, give her a big hand. I know that's hard. All right, Peyton, your first two words are yes and. So, because I am very open with people and I talk to people, right? Um, I told some people about some of the shenanigans and about what the school board said. And we have some business owners who are actually alumnus here, right? They said they'll match whatever the school board throws in. So I talked to like five people and then somebody from the governor's office heard about what we're doing. They said they would match anything that we raised. So that's like, you know, $2 million. Here's my idea. Fly everybody down to Disney World, three nights, four days. Yes. And we get to go watch five straight training games. We're ready to 
Ooh, okay. I like that. And we get the pirates to sign a baseball for everybody. Yes. And yes, and that's to be in production. We don't have to be in production. Oh, yes, and we throw a party one of the nights at the spring training field with all of the players, and they sing karaoke with us. Yes, and we get to uh, we get fired. <laughs> everybody, everybody, give me a hand. You did a good job with that. So I have to explain to to you guys. Just hold it. You're good. Um, why you guys had to leave. So I asked the audience, and I didn't want you guys to have a bias or a fear that you could possibly fail doing this exercise, to watch energy levels and whose idea it was, okay? So with uh, Don, it was no because. What happened to my energy levels? They went down, right? She was thinking really hard, so her energy levels weren't really high either, but that's on purpose. Whose idea was it? No one. There wasn't an idea. What did we come to? Nothing. How about with Pamela? Where'd my energy levels go? Up and then down. Up and then down. I cycled. Whose idea was it? Hers. How about with Peyton and Yes and? Where did my energy levels go? Up. So did his, because he was trying to top it. And what he missed was, I didn't want you to top it, I wanted you to add to it. Because it became our idea. Right? That's the power of yes and. We call it bring a brick. If you already have a cathedral built of an idea, people can't add to it, which means you're not open to what they're going to say because you can't stop being right. No, I don't like that. It wasn't part of my original idea. Oh, I didn't realize this was your idea. I thought we were building together. Bring a brick. Don't bring a cathedral. You don't need the cathedral. Now, God loved Don and Pamela. That was hard. I know that was hard. You guys were rock stars. I see why you guys were selected to come up and help with that, because uh, I told them whoever. And, and so you guys were really, really good with that. Peyton, awesome job. Let's give him another round of hand as I have a seat. That was good. That was very good. Please have a seat. Just hand that to Dr. Johns. Okay. So that's yes and. So what we just did is we actually transformed idea building into ensembles. So teams aren't bad, but they're not as good as an ensemble. Most people hear the word ensemble, they think of a play. When we're thinking of plays, if the lighting guy misses all of the cues, does it matter how good the actor or actress is? No. In an ensemble, everybody's first priority is making sure that everybody else succeeds too. 
99% of companies do not operate this way. You know why? Because 99% of people do not operate this way. They're not open. They're not present. They're not focused. And they're certainly not having fun. Teams aren't bad. But teams, the basketball team tonight is going to go beat the Bears. Yes, Claire's right. But that implies competition. Competition isn't always seen with a positive because there's a loss. Something has to lose. In business, when teams are formed, there's the marketing team, there's the sales team, there's the HR team. There's a supply chain team. Those teams are often in conflict with each other. So the corporation says, this is the goal. Okay, great. But the goal for supply chain is to minimize inventory. The, the goal for sales is to sell everything that they possibly can. You can't sell something if you don't have it. That's a conflict. The goal doesn't make sense. Because the goal is often tied to money. What it should be is satisfying the customer, making sure that we're delivering on time, every time, every single time, without regard to the money expense or the revenue generated. Because if you've innovated something that's truly creative, you've already talked to the customer, you already have the sales on the books. That's the difference in this technique. Form ensembles, not teams. It breaks down barriers. Stand up one more time for me. We're gonna talk about bravery. Now, I've been in here this morning. Um, I was in here by myself with a post-it note. And on that post-it note, it says, it's me. Go ahead and look at your seats. Because if you have, it's me, that means you're coming up here and singing a duet with me. Check your seat, check all around it, check underneath it. After you've checked, have a seat. Now, I don't know if you can tell, my voice is already starting to get strained. So you definitely don't, you don't want me hearing, hear, to hear me singing when my voice is good, let alone when it's starting to strain a little bit. And I wouldn't do that to any of you. But be honest, how many of you had butterflies in your stomach for just a moment that it might actually be you? Some hands up? Okay. Understand this. That's the fear. But none of you looked overly anxious about it. Now, I've done this, and I did have somebody break down crying from the anxiety of it. So if you're open to this and present with me for the day, hopefully I've alleviated that fear, especially as we've had two different demonstrations, and the people were rock stars in it, that I wouldn't have embarrassed you. So we're going to finish with this. The what? Recognize your advantages on your goals. You have to have the goal, then the advantage. Identify what the fear is. Then choose to overcome it. If you can't start by laughter, start by taking physical action. This is what I want you to take away from today. How are you going to do that? Have some intentional fun. Be open and be present. Be open and be present. Here's what you're going to get. We started the day by talking about money. 
I would rather you get to choose happiness. Money will automatically follow. Thank you for your kind, kind attention and time today.